We're in a series called But God. Somebody say But God. Now say it like they say in Ghana. Jinyame. Oh yeah, y'all didn't know us. Come on, I had somebody teach me. Yeah, Jinyame. They told me that's what they say in Ghana. I guess that must be tweez. Now say it like they say it in Espanol. Say Pero Dios. Come on, every nation, every tribe, every tongue says, but God, because God intervenes in every situation, in every nation, everywhere that you find yourself. And we're looking at what happens when God divinely intervenes in our lives, when God steps in and does something only God can do. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 50 this morning, verses 19 through 21. It's an oft-quoted passage of scripture. It's a verse that I personally love and have stood on many times in my life. And we're going to unpack and see what God has for us today in this. This is the end of the story of Joseph. Joseph was um, greatly betrayed by his brothers. And now they find himself at his feet begging for mercy. And these are Joseph's words in response to them. Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Father God, we're looking to you today to minister to our hearts and to our minds. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and minds to understand what it is the Spirit of God is saying to us today. Anoint this moment with your presence and with your spirit that we would walk away more in love with you, with a deeper understanding of who you are and how you're moving in our life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, There is so much in the story in the life of Joseph. I'll do a quick summary. Uh, Many of you know the story. If you don't know the story, Joseph is the 12th son of Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. We talked a little bit last week about Abraham. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons formed the 12 tribes of Israel. Great significance and great weight on this family. So Joseph is one of the younger sons. And not only is he one of the younger sons, he's also the favorite son. And I love reading Bible stories that I have a lot in common with. Because I'm the youngest son. And obviously, I'm the favorite son. So I really resonated with Joseph in this story. I'm really excited to preach it this morning. So Joseph was the favorite son of his father. And Joseph had these visions from God about how his brothers and his parents would, would bow down before him. And I just to be honest, in typical youngest brother fashion, oh, he went and told them right away. Like, you guys. And in typical oldest brother fashion, what did they do? They were jealous of the favorite, jealous of the youngest. They resented him. Um, It's the mantle many of us youngest children have to bear. Uh, We do it with grace and dignity, but, you know, I get it. Um, It's part of the burden, but God is gracious. So his brothers plot to kill him. Um, and were it not for Reuben, one of his brothers who said, well, let's not kill him. Let's leave him for dead in a pit, which like, thank you, Reuben, the good brother, I guess. So they end up doing that. They actually end up selling him into slavery. He ends up in the house of a man named Potiphar. 
Potiphar's wife accuses him of assaulting her. So then he ends up in prison, in the king's prison. While he's in prison, uh, Pharaoh, while he's in Pharaoh's prison, uh, he interprets the dream of two men in that prison. Word travels that this man, Joseph, uh, he, he can interpret and understand visions and dreams. And so Pharaoh has a dream. And so they call on Joseph to interpret the dream of Pharaoh. And Joseph does so when he says that there's going to be seven years of an abundant harvest and then seven years of famine. And Pharaoh is so impressed by that. Pharaoh says, Joseph, I'm placing you in charge of all famine remediation protocols. He pulls him out of prison and gives him a place in his palace, gives him authority over so many things in the nation of Egypt. And over those years, Joseph's power and influence grow. Now, his brothers thought that he was dead or at least in slavery somewhere far away. And Joseph, this is the cliff. Like, I don't even, there's like, multi-week series on Joseph's life. We don't even have time. This is the Cliff Notes version. So many ups and downs, so many amazing, miraculous testimonies, like 20 chapters of scripture. So there's, there's so much that I can't cover in this moment, but it's one of the most incredible stories you'll find in all of scripture. And I don't know that any of us have a story quite like that, but I know that all of us have a story. And there might be parts of Joseph's story that you can relate to. Maybe you don't fit in with your family. Maybe you've been betrayed by someone or there have been false accusations made against you. Maybe you've just been through a long series of unfortunate events, one after another after another, and you're going like, how is this happening? Why is this happening? God, what are you doing in my life? I think that's a question Joseph probably asked a lot. I think it's a question a lot of us have to ask a lot of times. God, God what are you doing in my life? Why, why, why is this happening to me? You know, we have to learn how to hold in tension the suffering of humanity with the sovereignty of God. How do I reconcile in my mind that there's this God who goes before me? He fights my battles. He's never lost one of those battles. And yet the circumstances I'm in, sometimes it feels like I'm losing this battle. I mean, I know what scripture says, but I also know what I'm living. So, so how, do I, how do I hold in tension these, these two things? And we're looking and wondering, God, God, what are you doing in my life? And I have to imagine Joseph, over the course of his life, asked that question so many times. And yet he declares this profound and prophetic statement to his brothers who had betrayed him and sold him into slavery and sought to ruin and end his life. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. This verse is like a banner over all of the redemptive history of humanity. That wherever evil strikes, you can speak this and you will be saying something true about God. You might have meant it for evil. It might have been intended for my harm, but God intends it for my good. So I don't care what you're going through or how painful it is. If you love God and trust him, there's nothing in your life that he can't redeem and use for his good purposes. So we're going to talk about this morning, trying to figure out and understand what God is doing in our lives when we're going through unimaginable and unexplainable circumstances. God means it for good. The evil that comes against you, God means it for good. The pain that you're navigating, God means it for good. The disease that's come against you or your family, God means it for good. The tragedy, the loss, the despair, that God means it for good. So one of the most reassuring facts of all human history and scripture is that God intends it for our good. Title of the message is for good. Somebody say for good. 
We're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about where we find ourselves, where we find God, and where we go from here. You know, you'll only ever end up where you've allowed yourself to be led. I'll say it again. It's not the most profound statement, but it is a mouthful, so I'll say it again. You'll only ever end up where you've allowed yourself to be led. A number of years ago, Michelle and I uh, got, uh, some of our friends got tickets to a Penn State football game up in Penn State. We had never been there before. I had never been to a D1 college football game, so I was pretty excited. I went to CNU. We had a football team. Don't hate. It was D3. We were pretty good, and we showed up to all the games, and we got rowdy. Uh, we had fun, but I had never been to like a D1 school college town, college game. So we were excited. This is years before we had children. So the plan was Friday night after work, get home, pack up the car, head out, drive. You know, it's, who cares? You don't have kids. You stay up late. You do whatever you want. You just leave whenever you want, arrive whenever you want. Life is just, life is just whatever you want. You can just do. So there's a lot of parents in this room today. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. <laughs> so, so after work, we get packed up. We throw everything in the car. We're just going to get there Friday night, stay at a friend's house Saturday morning, get to campus, tailgate, watch the game, spend the whole day. It's going to be a blast. And so we get in the car Friday night. We plug the address in the GPS and the Google Maps, and we, and we head out. Now, um, here's the thing about me and Google Maps. I love Google Maps. I'm loyal to Google Maps. I don't use MapQuest. <laughs> I don't use Apple Maps. I don't use Waze. I don't use any. I use Google Maps, and I use Google Maps every day of my life. I will navigate myself to church every morning. <laughs> I, know, I know how to get here, but I, will, I rely on Google Maps. For, I am loyal. I am faithful, and I love Google Maps. I do not think Google Maps loves me. I do not think it is a mutual relationship at all. I've, you ever had this? You, you, you're navigating somewhere and Google's like, hey, if you want to save five minutes on your trip, take this 30-minute detour. <laughs> you're like, I'm not a computer, but I can do that math. I don't think that adds up. I don't think that adds up. So we're, so we're traveling up to Penn State, you know, and just mindlessly, you ever, <laughs> you've ever been just driving and then you become aware that you're driving? Isn't that the freakiest thing? <laughs> your mind's just on autopilot. You're just going. You know how to get places. Then you kind of just have a moment where you're like, oh, I'm on the highway. Here we go. Yep. Okay, merging. You know, here I am. <laughs> so we're going, man. It's late at night. It's dark. And we're heading up to Penn State. And I'm just, we're just following along, man. We're talking. We're laughing. We're listening to music. We're doing all the things you can't do with little ones in the back, having a grand old time. And after a while of kind of just mindlessly driving along, I kind of became aware of where we were. And... I had no idea where we were. You know, when I drive to like a major college town, I'm expecting highways, lights, civilization, you know, normal things. And this Friday night, there are no lights, there is no civilization, there is one lane, and we are doing a lot of turning, and the roads are going up, and I'm going like, I, I don't think this is the right way to go where we're going. Like, like I, we, mm, the look I was getting from Michelle, okay, which is like, I trusted you with my life. I trusted you with one job. You had one job, get us there safely. I trusted you, and if we end up dead, you will not, you will not hear the end of it for all eternity. Like, I got this, baby. Don't worry. I know, we know it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And we are literally in the heart of darkness. And the worst part of it all, for a million dollars, I could not have gotten our, us home. So what do I have to rely on Google Maps to get me out of the situation that Google Maps got me into? How humiliating. Not one of the best moments in my marriage. Not one of the best moments in my life. 
What happened to us? The same thing happened to us as what happened to Joseph's brothers as happens to so many of us in our lives. We kind of allow life to go on autopilot. We kind of switch over to cruise control. We kind of stop paying attention to the choices that we're making. One wrong turn after another, one bad decision after another, after another, after another. Not really paying attention to the consequences of our decisions, living in the moment for the moment. But when you live like that, there's only one place you're going to end up face-to-face with the consequences of your decisions. We were out there thinking we knew what we were doing, but we were not paying attention at all, and we really weren't worried about it. We had given responsibility for our lives, as so many of us do, over to someone or to something else. We allow them to set the moral boundaries for our relationship. That's not, you know, let's just let them do it. We'll follow their lead. We allow the pleasure of the experience or of getting what we want to dictate the choices that we make. We make excuses for ourselves and say, well, you don't really know the week I had, so I think I'm kind of entitled to whatever it is. And we take our eye off the ball just for a moment. And then all of a sudden we become aware and we go, how did I get here? When we leave the seat of leadership in our life, when we abdicate our responsibility, you will only ever always be led into becoming something you've not wanted to be. You'll only ever find yourself in places where you've allowed yourself to be led. This is Joseph's brothers face to face with the consequences of their sin at the mercy of their brother who had all the power, all power, all authority and ability to do with them whatever he wanted. And listen for a little brother. That's a dream. Just put my brothers at my mercy. I got 35 years of vengeance and payback. And my story is nothing like Joseph's. And Joseph's response to them is absolutely, undeniably incredible. You see, what did Joseph do wrong in this situation? What did Joseph do to deserve being treated like this? You know, for many of us, we find ourselves face to face with the consequences of our own sin and our own choices. And that's a tough spot to be sometimes. That's a painful uh, place to be sometimes. But other times, we don't find ourselves face-to-face with the consequences of our sin, but the sin of others. I know many of you work really hard to live a righteous life. You read this word, you follow God, you love God, you're obedient to what he tells you to do, and you work really diligently to be in his will at all times. And yes, even you come face-to-face with unimaginable circumstances that are dropped at your footstep, at, at your doorstep, dropped at your feet. And you go, oh, what, did, what did I do to deserve this? I'm the one person in my family acting right. I have to deal, I, I got to deal with all of this? How is that fair to me? How do you think Joseph felt as his brothers laid bare before him? No covering. Jacob, their father, had died. Jacob would have been the one that said, Joseph, please have mercy on my sons, your brothers. He was gone. And so Joseph has before him 11 brothers to decide their fate. And what does Joseph say to them? As he holds intention in the back of his mind, the story of his life, being left for dead, sold into slavery, falsely accused, left in prison, redeemed out of prisons, put in position. He's going, I know it's not my job to control outcomes. My job is to remain faithful. So he says to them, am I in the place of God? Is that my authority? Is that my position in your life? Do I have supreme, sovereign, decision-making authority over your life? Is judgment my responsibility? Is vengeance my responsibility? Is determining outcomes my responsibility? Do I sit in God's seat? I don't sit in God's seat. I don't sit in God's 
See, Joseph had learned over years of his life, it's not his job to control the outcomes. It's his job to remain faithful and to trust in God's purposes, whether he understands where he's going or not. Oh, you might be in the driver's seat of your life, and you might be following the GPS as it's laid bare before you, and there might be some instructions and some twists and some turns that you don't understand, but if God is leading you, It's not your job to understand where he's taking you. It's your job to be faithful to him and follow along the path that he's got you on. Listen to me. Michelle and I, what we did not know as we drove up to Penn State was our Google Maps, our faithful, loyal, dependable, trustworthy Google Maps was keeping us from a multi-hour delay on the highways where there was an accident. It had rerouted us through the mountains. And if we had stuck with what we knew, if we had stuck with what normal convention says was the right way to go, we would have encountered severe delays. Is anybody listening in the spirit this morning? You might find yourself in a dark place, in a confusing place. You might find yourself lost with no way out, with no hope, going, God, where do you have me? What are you doing? Why am I here? But as long as your God is leading you, you can trust in his will for your life. He's going to bring you through the other side. There are delays you are avoiding. There are things you are not encountering because God's grace is on you. You might not see the path, but if you can see your God, you can trust him and follow him every day of your life. No matter how bad it is for those who love God and trust him, there's nothing in your life he can't redeem and use for his good purposes Where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves face to face with the repercussions of our sin or the sin of others. And when we find ourselves there, where do we find God? You know, I've learned, as many of us have learned over the course of our lives, I just, I don't really have that much control over my life. I don't have as much control as I thought I would have. I don't have as much control as I would like to have. I don't have as much control as I promised myself I would have. Uh, I can't control others. I can't control the world, the weather, the way people act. I can barely control myself. The Bible tells me I need the power of God to have self-control. So I don't really have that much control over the outcomes of my life. And what I've learned is that's, that's a great, that's a great thing. That is a good thing for me. And when I'm in these situations that are difficult, that are challenging, that don't make any sense, I've learned not to ask, what did I do to end up here? I've learned to ask, God, why do you have me here? What are you doing in this? What would you have me do in this? Clearly, you have placed me here for a reason and a purpose. God, you intend all things for good, so, so this must have some good in it, God. Why, why am I here? See, the words that Joseph uses are so intentional. They're so precise. The Bible is so precise, you guys. You got to pay attention to this. Joseph, what he doesn't say is you meant it for evil, but God is going to figure out a way to make it good. He said you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Listen, it's the same word in the Hebrew. You meant it, but he meant it. What does that mean? That means God is not stumbling about in your life going, how can I turn things around for good? Like, oh, good, a bad decision over here. All right, let me figure out. Okay, let me fix that and put that on track. Great. Okay, they made a bad decision. Let me get over here. Okay, let me, no, no, no. God is not caught off guard by your bad choices. God is not unaware of the situations you're going through. He is sovereign over all things. God is intending to use what you're going through for your good, his good, our good. 
That means he is sovereign even over your poor choices. He is sovereign over the evil that befalls our world. God is sovereign even over the wickedness of man. This can be a hard truth to embrace and to understand. I'm not saying God causes sin so that he can redeem it. I'm not saying God causes wickedness in your life so that he can redeem it. What I'm saying is that when evil befalls you, even that evil is subject to the will and the might of our God. And there is no thing that happens in this earth that God cannot use to bring salvation and redemption, even if it's tragedy and despair. He is working all things. He means all things for good, for good, for good. How does he do this? I love this. Psalm 105, the psalmist talks about this very story of Joseph and the famine in Egypt. And look what the psalmist writes. He says, when he, speaking of God, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread. Pause for a second. Look at that. Who summoned the famine? God summoned the famine. God is the one that brought it to bear. Now, I know that sounds unfair and unjust and unlike God, but stick with me because the verse is not done yet. But you've got to understand that sometimes God will allow a famine into your life. When he summoned the famine, keep reading, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who had been sold into slavery. This is what I want you to get from me today. When God summons a famine, he always sends a man. There is no hopeless situation in your life that God has not sent somebody into to redeem. There is no dark night of the soul that God has not sent somebody in the middle of to redeem. When he summons a famine, he sends a man. And my prayer is that we would be the church full of men and women that God sends into dark and hopeless situations, bringing the peace and the love of Jesus to every place that the world turns to despair. God knows what he's up to. He always finds a way out because he was planning it all along. He's looking for the faithful men and women who will follow his purpose and superintend over his purposes in this earth, who will be faithful and will trust him to bring salvation and redemption to his people. Where do we find God? We find God where we always find him. Finish that sentence in Genesis 50, 20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Why? To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. If you're wondering where God is in your life, God is doing a life-saving work in your life. It's what he's always doing. He's never not working things towards salvation. That is what God is after for each and every person. He wants to bring to bear his saving grace through Jesus Christ. And he uses men and women to do that. This is why your testimony is not just a neat story about your life. Your testimony is the most powerful tool in your arsenal to beat back the gates of hell in this community. Your testimony is the evidence of the saving grace of Jesus Christ through his death on a cross and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives each and every day. We are living in a day and age of famine. Spiritual famine, relational family, famine, economic famine. And when there's a famine, there's always a man or a woman that is sent into that space to bring hope and light into those places. God is always up to a saving work, no matter what the circumstances look like in our lives. When he summons a famine, he sends a man. 
And we can trust and believe that God works all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So we can stand confident on the words of Psalm 34. Let me share this verse with you. Psalm 34, 19 says this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Where is God? He's delivering us. He is saving us. He is redeeming us. Though our afflictions might be many, and you might feel like that this morning. I know I felt that way before. Though the afflictions are many, my God redeems me out of all of them. That is who he is, and I can trust him in that. That's where God is in these moments. He's doing what he's always done. So where do we go from here? How do we proceed knowing this? You know, I love how Joseph concludes his words to his brothers. He gives them some profound instructions. And the thing about Joseph, you got to know about scripture, is the story of Joseph is intended to point to, to Jesus. If you lined up their stories next to each other, you would see so many overlaps. This is intentional in scripture. This is not an accident. This didn't just happen. This is why we have the story of Joseph, to see the greatest fulfillment of that come to pass in Jesus. So when Joseph says a thing like this, you can trust that that is what God is saying to us too. So Joseph concludes his words to his brothers with this. Do not fear, for I will provide. I love this. I love this. His brothers are sitting before him, laid bare, no excuses to be made. We didn't accidentally sell you into slavery. We didn't actually accidentally shove you down a pit and take back your Technicolor dream coat to, to dad and put blood on it. As, we didn't trip and fall and do that. They don't have an excuse. They don't have a way out. They have no good justification. I've met some great people who can spin their sin. There's no spinning before God. He sees you exactly for what has been done. And maybe that's what puts fear in your heart. Is that you know you can't lie to God. Joseph's brothers, they can't lie to him. Joseph was there. He lived through every minute of it. And in response to them, not words of condemnation, not words of retaliation, not words of vengeance, not and I told you so, he responds, don't be afraid. I'm going to provide for you and your families. You know, many of us find ourselves in that space, face to face with the consequences of our sin. Many of you here have or are carrying unconfessed, unrepentant, burdensome sin, and it's weighing on you. And you feel uncomfortable sitting before God, let alone sitting before man, because you understand the weight and, quite frankly, just the embarrassment of what it would do if anybody knew what you were going through. If anybody knew the choices I had just made even this morning, my goodness, they wouldn't let me in the church. And let me just tell you, the devil intends that to harm you. That mindset, that's intended to harm you. He means that for evil against you. He wants you locked up, hidden, hiding in shame. That's what the devil wants for you. Do you know why he wants that for you? Because that is what rots you from within. That's what destroys every relationship, every bit of self-confidence you've ever had. And it's what corrupts your faith in a loving God who does not respond to us like that. That's not the way Jesus responds to sinners. Yet the voice you hear louder than anything else is just that. You won't be loved. You won't be accepted. You'll be rejected. You'll be condemned. Don't do it. Keep, keep hiding. Put on a good Christian faith. Show up. You know, act right. You know, everyone else in the church has their lives together. No one in the church sins. So, so you couldn't be the only one. I hope you hear that laughter as we all go, ah. 
He intends it for your harm. He intends it to destroy you. But do not fear. God has made provision for you. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. God has made a gracious provision for you in your life, the act of confession and repentance. And what confession and repentance does, it takes the weapons out of the hands of the enemy who intends to use them to harm you and it puts them in the hands of a trusted brother or sister in Christ who loves you. And when you walk in that, let me just tell you, when you walk in that, you encounter levels of freedom and healing and restoration and strength like you have never felt before in your life because you become unburdened of the guilt and the shame that you, the devil wants you to walk in. And you begin walking like a free man and a free woman. And can't nobody stop me or hold me down because all my baggage is unloaded. All my baggage is out there. I don't have to worry about it. God forgives me. He loves me. He's redeeming me day by day by day. I got some purpose on my life. I'm going to walk and I'm not going to let guilt and shame hold me back. God has made a provision for you. It's called confession, repentance. Get unburdened. Experience the freedom. Don't fear. Others of us, it's not our sin. It's the sin of others. It's living in a broken and a fallen world. Things just happen. Like, who do you blame for a pandemic that ruins supply chain and causes inflation? Like, who do you blame for weather patterns that lead to destruction? Who do you blame when a child falls ill with a life-threatening sickness? Who do you blame when a friend or family member dies too soon? Whose fault is that? Because the devil intends those things for your harm. He intends those things to pull you from God, to make you question him. Who do we always blame? We blame God, the one who is sovereign over all things. And we go, surely, God, you cannot be real because bad things are happening to me. And let me tell you, that's playing into the devil's hands. Because when you don't trust your God, the one who actually can and will do something in your life, you begin to wither away from the inside as what was your anchor, what was your rock, what you knew to be true, now you question every day. And I've seen people there, it's not a great place to be. It's a soul-sucking place to be. You look at the overwhelming evil in the world and you go, what am I, what am I to do with that? How am I supposed to walk in this? How, how am I supposed to raise kids in this world? How am I supposed to do anything in this world? I just speak the words of Joseph over your life as well. Don't, don't be afraid. Do not fear. God has made a provision for you as well. And what we have in Jesus is a man who is more intimately familiar with carrying the burden of other sins than anybody else in all human history. He was subject to the will of evil men who wanted him dead and wanted to, des- to destroy everything he built in his entire life. They were after him, and he was subject to their will. Listen to what John Piper says. He says it like this. John Piper says, The gospel of our salvation was accomplished through the evil of sinful men as they killed the Son of God. Isaiah 53 says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of God to crush Christ on the cross for our good. It was for our good, though. 
And if God can do that to his son and bring out the most redemptive purposes for all of humanity, what makes you think he can't redeem your circumstance? What makes you think he's still not good in your life? Oh, the enemy meant it for evil. Man meant it for evil. We were going to snuff out this man, Jesus. We were going to finish this before it even gets started. We're going to stop this movement in its tracks. But God didn't mean it for that. God meant it for good. And at the cross of Christ, we find the fulfillment of every good that God has to offer us. Everything in the course of your life, the trauma, the pain, the abuse you suffered at a young age, God did not intend that to destroy you. He intended to use it for some good. Sin is rampant in this world, whether you like it or not. But God can redeem anything. He can restore anything. And there's a man, Jesus, who shows us that that is true. Jesus' death on the cross is the culmination of God's work of turning all things for good. Out of his death, out of his betrayal, out of, his, out of his torture, out of the false accusations, out of all of the men and women who abandoned Jesus along the way, he has walked where you have walked. He has been through what you have been through. And in all of that, as he kneels in the garden of Gethsemane and he sweats droplets of blood, he remains steadfast and goes, God, it's not my will that I want done. It's your will. So even if that means going to the cross, God, I know you'll use it for good. Even if that means going through the unimaginable, God, I know that you are going to use it for good. It's who you are. Your character doesn't change. You don't lie. You don't decide today that you're not going to redeem me. This is who you are. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And God, I know that if you're with me, that you mean it for good for me. And if it's not good yet, then you must not be finished yet. Because you work all things for good. You mean all things for, you don't mean some things for good, God. You mean, you mean all things for good. And even in the desperate, hopeless places of my life, God, you have made a provision in a man. Because you, God, you always send a man. And in Christ, we have that man. He's spoken the final word over your life. And when Jesus hung on the cross, and he said his final words, it is finished. It was finished. And it wasn't finished with the intention for good. It was finished for good. No take backs, no do-overs, no second chances. It's done. The final word has been spoken over your life through Christ on the cross. It's finished for good. In him, you have redemption. In him, you have hope. 
In him, you have restoration. In him, you have healing. In him, you have grace and strength for everything that you go through. You'll only ever end up where you've allowed yourself to be led. And I'm begging you, allow yourself to be led to the foot of the cross. Because in the cross, we see God working the worst circumstances for the benefit of all mankind. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we adore you. And God, we worship you. For you are faithful, and you are just, and you are kind, and you are good. And though the circumstances of our life are painful, and they don't always make sense, and God, we don't always know what you're up to or where you're going, we can stand on the truth of Scripture that although it might have been meant for our evil, God, you mean it for good. Give us eyes to see the good. Give us faith to believe for the good. Let us stand on the testimony of Jesus that you bring good out of darkness. Anybody here this morning who's not given their life to Christ, not made a public confession of faith, has not decided to follow Jesus, but there's something today God's moving on your heart, drawing you unto himself. You don't see Jesus as that, but you'd really like to. You'd really like to put your faith in the one who helps turn things for good in your life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real quick so I can see you and pray with you? If you're watching online, I see that hand. Praise God. Amen. 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 If watching online, there's a button in the chat you can click too. We want to walk with you as well, and I want to pray for you as well. So if that's you, please now click that button in the chat. If that's you this morning, pray this prayer with me. So Father God, I repent for the life that I've lived and the sin that I've walked in. Forgive me. I'm turning to Jesus as the Lord of my life and the Savior of my soul. Help me this day to follow you with my whole heart, to trust that you, God, mean things for good in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we thank God for those who prayed that prayer this morning?